everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. In my previous podcast, I had mentioned how it was Pride in the Pacific Northwest, and I had a number of gigs to do. I was able to do most of those, uh, albeit those were indoor events, but when we got to Sunday, yeah... With temperatures over 110 in the Pacific Northwest, which is very unusual, the event I was part of performing was cancelled, which of course is quite alright, because who wants to be remembered as being part of the group that sent most of its audience home with some sort of heat-related illness? It's never a good look. But I have to admit, at this point, I wouldn't have mind being trapped in that snowed-in cabin with the Ingalls. You know, minus the lack of provisions and, of course, the bigoted renegade U.S. Marshal. So in the meantime, I'm staying indoors with the A.C., checking all my plants and making sure to water them extra, if they need it, and being slightly curious as to why my long-haired cat wants to spend all the time outside. I will also say this about my cat. His name is Balthazar. He is always by my side as I sit down and record. So it's almost like I have a co-host who spends most of the time cleaning himself and walking on the keyboard. And with that being said, let's get started with today's recap. Today's episode is entitled To See the World and premiered on March 5th, 1975, was written by Jerry Day and directed by Michael Landon. We have a pretty wide shot, and in this shot we see a young man leading a cow, and they both look to be covered in mud, and this boy does not seem happy. Oh wait, look! It's the return of Johnny Johnson! And when him and that heifer finally make it back home, we are introduced to Mr. Johnson, who happens to point out to Johnny Johnson exactly where the cow got out. If I recollect, you were told to fix that fence over a week ago. Johnny Johnson explains that he had managed a temporary fix and that he was going to get back to it. Mr. Johnson flat out states, well, you did what you did best. Forget. You can really feel the love here. Johnny Johnson says he was distracted when Mr. Edwards stopped by and then they went off fishing. That man always puts wild notions into your head. At this point, Mr. Johnson kind of delivers an ultimatum. If Johnny Johnson doesn't start minding his paw more and, you know, earning his keep, he is told he can pack up and move out. Johnny Johnson, as well as the cow, both look a little defeated. We cut to a freshly clean Johnny Johnson who happens to be carrying a bag over his shoulder, accompanying Mary and Laura on their way to school. Noticing the bag over his shoulder, Laura just has to know, what's it for? And Mary says, don't pester. We have a test we should prepare for. In the moment, Mary asks, name three animals in the polar region. And Johnny Johnson replies, oh, three polar bears. Mary is shocked. Your knuckles will get smacked with an answer like that. Johnny Johnson assures her that, no, they won't, because I'm not going to school anymore. Johnny Johnson continues, 
I'm tired of reading about faraway places. I want to go see them for myself. Golly, Laura looks ready to fall in love with Johnny Johnson all over again. And Mary looks at Johnny Johnson and tells him it's a dumb idea. Not winning any points with his next remark, he simply says, well, you think it's a dumb idea because you're a girl. As Mary continues her way to school, Johnny Johnson looks to Laura and says, you ever get tired of doing the same thing day after day? Well, I'm heading to Mankato. Laura quickly interjects, I've been there. And I have to interject, I've been there too. But Mankato is not the end of the line for Johnny Johnson. He says from there, he's going to go to St. Paul, London, and China. So Johnny Johnson has decided to no longer stand in the place where he lives, but to instead roam around the world. Laura then asks for a picture postcard to be sent. Johnny Johnson acknowledges this request and then heads over to find a ride. And he makes his way over to the mill. Conveniently, Mr. Edwards has a lumber load to take over to Mankato. We are told it's three days there, three days to get back, and a two-day holiday for Mr. Edwards. He plans to play some poker, get a taste of the silver slipper, and buy that Winchester 73 he's been saving up for. And that Winchester costs $15 and is way more expensive than Caroline's oven. In the background, Charles makes a joke about staying out of the silver slipper, which is of course an inside joke because that's where Charles and Mr. Edwards were reunited. But Johnny Johnson doesn't know that, and so he inquires, well, what happens at the Silver Slipper? Mr. Edwards quickly jumps in, nothing, just never mind what happens there. Charles, still in the background, has a big smile on his face. Well, Johnny Johnson does inquire about a lift, Uber, wagon ride, and says, I'm not going to school. I'm going to learn things on my own. Experience is the best teacher. Mr. Edwards is a little guilty of planting that idea in his head. But then again, Charles said the same thing about fishing traps back in the Christmas episode. Mr. Edwards, checking on that lumber, making sure it's ready to haul away, tries to deter Johnny Johnson's adventure. However, Johnny Johnson shares a story of a young boy who in his first year of schooling had five different teachers and then set out on his own education. It wasn't Sheldon Cooper, but it was Abraham Lincoln. Mr. Edwards tries again, in vain, to get Johnny Johnson to head back to school. However, Johnny Johnson repeats what his father had said. You know, you can leave whenever you want, if you're not contributing. Charles jumps in. Your pa told you that? There's a slightly delayed yeah from Johnny Johnson. And he continues, well, if I can't get a ride, I'll walk. And this time, as Johnny Johnson is making his way out of the scene, we see that he is now wearing shoes. Charles and Mr. Edwards have a heart-to-heart. -heart. You filled his head with way too many tall tales. Now he wants to see them for himself. Mr. Edwards says that oh, he'll catch up, and he'll try to scare Johnny Johnson to go back home. When Mr. Edwards eventually catches up with Johnny Johnson, quite the opposite happens. Trying out scare tactics, Mr. Edwards says there's wild animals, robbers, and possibly unpredictable weather. You might freeze to death. 
Johnny Johnson is slightly confused. Snow in July? And to that, I simply have to say, you never know, Johnny Johnson. Go ask Laura. But no, Mr. Edwards is not talking about snow. In fact, he's talking about the opposite. Extreme heat! He even says he came across a poor lad lying in his own juices, deader than a mackerel. Ew. Laying in their own juices? Perhaps not the best phrasing, Mr. Edwards. Johnny Johnson simply counters, Well, a true friend wouldn't just drive off and leave me here to die. Mr. Edwards has a quick LOL. Well, if you keep talking like that, maybe you'll end up a Philadelphia lawyer. And I don't know why he chose Philadelphia. Why didn't he pick Minneapolis or St. Paul? But just the same, Johnny Johnson hops in alongside Mr. Edwards and they head over to Mankato. It's evening time back at the Ingalls and Charles is lighting his pipe, thankfully not directly in front of Carrie's face. And Laura just has to know, how long does it take to see the world? And according to Charles, it's different based on the individual. For me, a blink of an eye, because my whole world is right here. Aww. In the background, Caroline remarks, I can't believe Hector Johnson would allow his boy to go trapsing off to Mankato. See, we get Hector Johnson's full name in the first 10 minutes, but we didn't get Trudy Coulter's until 35 minutes into the episode. From outside, we hear Jack start to bark, and Charles goes to the window and sees that it's Hector Johnson. He tells the girls to get ready for bed. Heading outside, Charles greets Hector and explains what happened earlier at the mill and where Johnny Johnson actually is at. He continues by saying, Johnny Johnson said he had your permission. Hector Johnson explains how his words were kind of misconstrued. At this point, Charles says, there's nothing like a reformed reprobate. Of course, I don't know if he's referring to Mr. Edwards or Johnny Johnson. However, he does reassure Hector Johnson that his son is in good hands with Mr. Edwards watching after him. And Mr. Edwards is going to do all he can to convince Johnny Johnson to come back home. Charles invites him inside for some evening coffee. Can't, I've got chores to do. Johnny's and mine. He then heads home. And just like that, three days have passed. Mr. Edwards and Johnny Johnson are arriving in Mankato and Johnny Johnson is in complete awe. A Mankato resident calls out to Mr. Edwards. Hello, Dandy. Dandy apparently is a poker player. And Johnny Johnson exclaims, I want to see a real poker game. However, he is told that the adults will probably not want to have a young fellow hanging around the silver slipper. The wagon passes by a ticket office at the Overland stage, and I can't help but wonder what play is going on until I realize it's not that kind of stage. And stopping in front of a warehouse, Mr. Edwards hands the reins over to Johnny Johnson and tells them to get inside the stalls and he'll meet him back in about an hour. Curious why they don't set the horses out to pasture, Mr. Edwards simply states, well, the stalls are for us because we're not getting a room. Um, sleeping with the horses. I guess it's better than sleeping with the fishes. As Johnny Johnson is getting out of the wagon, the subtitles describe honky-tonk music. 
and we cut to a vibrantly dressed woman with a pink boa walking down the street. A pretty woman Johnny Johnson would like to meet. And I have to say, she's slightly scandalous because her arms are bare and she's got some heavy eye makeup. And her dress, well, it's a little low cut there in the top. And from a distance, she looks like a young Margot Kidder. And in a town like Walnut Grove, Johnny Johnson has never seen something like this before. And he is absolutely hypnotized by this young woman in Mankato. This lady is acting very coy and keeps getting Johnny Johnson's attention even as she continues to walk away a block. And Johnny Johnson is definitely experiencing something new. The only words he is able to say are, oh my, and he repeats that a few times. And Johnny Johnson has been completely distracted. And the next thing we know, the camera moves overhead, which seems a rather odd choice of camera movement, but it is then revealed that Johnny Johnson is standing in the watering trout. We cut to a saloon, and it must be the Silver Slipper, and, well, yep, we've been here before. It's less crowded this time, and no one is throwing chairs. The Piano Man is not playing. It's a self-playing piano, but it's already poker time. Mr. Edwards steps into the Silver Slipper, and Dandy welcomes him. The bartender, Eldred, is not as happy to see Mr. Edwards. In fact, he recounts the incident that took place back in Mr. Edwards' homecoming. At this point, Dandy says, are you looking for some action? And in my 41-year-old brain, I take this question in many different directions. But what he's referring to is a game of poker. As the men sit down for a game, Mr. Edwards starts to discuss Johnny Johnson. And apparently Johnny Johnson is only 15 years old. And meanwhile, the lady that hypnotized him out on the streets comes down the stairs. Mr. Edwards then spills the tea. And he's trying to convince the boy to get back home. You all remember being that age? Feeling caged and wanting to bust out? Mr. Edwards' plan is to take all of Johnny Johnson's money during the poker game. The plan is that with Johnny Johnson's $1.50, they're going to let him win a good pile and then immediately lose it. Trying to get as much help as he can, Mr. Edwards turns to the barmaid slash waitress and asks if she'll flirt with him while he's winning, but immediately dump him when he loses. She just has to know what's in it for me. Mr. Edwards first offers the reward of feeling as though you've done something good for someone. She rolls her eyes at this, but then agrees to the price of a steak dinner for her contribution. We cut to the horse stalls, and Mr. Edwards is making his way in, singing that old Dan Tucker, and Johnny Johnson has been waiting, apparently, longer than an hour. Mr. Edwards then invites Johnny Johnson to play poker that evening. I'm not your dad. You're pretty much a grown-up. Johnny Johnson is thrilled, except he doesn't know how to play poker. And at this time, Mr. Edwards starts to explain what he knows. And this is how Johnny Johnson goes about learning from experience to play poker. We then cut to the poker table at the Silver Slipper, 
And you know what? He's doing all right because he wins the next round with a flush. It is at this time, the barmaid, who we're introduced to as Miss Mimi, brings beer for the men and milk for Johnny Johnson. However, just the sight of those two beverages side by side on her serving tray is kind of revolting. But she starts to flirt and giggle as she's putting that glass down in front of Johnny Johnson, who happens to win again, this time with a full house. Johnny Johnson remarks, well, I feel bad for winning every hand like this. These men are patient and a little bored. You know, we're just waiting for them to get their money back. But Johnny Johnson actually decides to stop playing and take his winnings away. The men are silent. Johnny Johnson says goodbye to Mimi before Mr. Edwards starts working hard to convince Johnny Johnson to get back into the game and that money back to the other players. It wouldn't be etiquette luck, but that doesn't convince Johnny Johnson. He's happy with his winnings and he wants to head back to his room, his horse stall, for some rest. Unfortunately, Mr. Edwards, almost anticipating what's about to happen, has Johnny Johnson make a quick exit before this confrontation. I didn't plan for him to leave. Dandy and company then pick up Mr. Edwards and take him outside. They carry him past the piano man, who looks as though he's been crying over his beer, and we hear punches being landed. And we cut to a stake on Mr. Edwards' face. That's one expensive ice pack. And kind of unhappy about the events that have unfolded, Mr. Edwards says that he's leaving tomorrow. Johnny Johnson? Not me. I'm going to head to Minneapolis or Chicago or even New York City with the $7.45 he has won. Mr. Edwards takes the stake down, and his black eye looks a thousand times better than Graham Stewart's. I see somebody finally talked to the makeup department. Mr. Edwards confesses the rouge. It wasn't an honest game. Johnny Johnson gives a slight chuckle. You're just saying that you just want me to go home. Recounting his own adventures, Mr. Edwards says, one chunk of this land looks like any other part. Not satisfied with that response, Johnny Johnson simply states, well, it might look different to me. The least I can do is go out and find out. Realizing this isn't going in the right direction, Mr. Edwards simply asks Johnny Johnson to just think about it. Blowing out the light before hitting the hay, literally, Johnny Johnson says, I already have, and goes to bed. And Mr. Edwards puts that stake back on his face. So unsanitary. The next morning, we are outside Peck's Lavery Stable, Feed and Fuel. This is apparently where Mr. Edwards and Johnny Johnson have shacked up for the night. Johnny Johnson comes out right past a sign that has a cow pony for sale for $45. He heads over to the ticket office and he looks at all the destinations. St. Louis, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Wichita, Kansas City. And I don't know if that's KCK or KCMO. Knocking on the window, he is immediately told that the office will open in one hour. Slam. What do I do for one hour? But off camera, we get a... Pleasant hello, 
and it's Mimi. Dressed more modest than before. And immediately, Johnny Johnson is hypnotized. Mimi shares the story that she grew up on a farm, so early mornings is the best part of the day for her. Johnny Johnson is still dumbfounded, so enamored. Slowly, their conversation turns to ornithology, and she invites him for a walk to see a magnificent bluebird. As they walk the streets of Mankato, Mimi asks, I bet the girls miss you back home. Johnny Johnson states, well, maybe Laura does. Mimi is intrigued. Oh, is that your steady girl? Johnny Johnson has to let us know she's only eight years old. On their walk, they finally stop by Agnes Coran's dress shop. And this is where Mimi points out her favorite bluebird. Stuffed, positioned on a hat. It's wearable taxidermy. She says she can't afford it, but it reminds her of home and she would give anything in the world to have this hat. Poor Johnny Johnson is a victim of hormones and naivety. We cut back to Mr. Edwards, who is racing out of the Pex livery stable feed and fuel. His shiner doesn't look any better, but he is in a mad hunt for Johnny Johnson. He immediately goes to the ticket office and is informed the office will not open for another five minutes. And well, since the ticket office wasn't open, Johnny Johnson clearly didn't get on a coach to head off to somewhere. We cut to the bluebird bonnet, although it doesn't really resemble much of a bonnet. In a breathy voice, I've always wanted this and I'll always remember you. Johnny Johnson and Mimi part ways. And at that moment, Mr. Edwards finds Johnny Johnson, who is head back to the ticket booth and inquires about a ticket to Minneapolis, which is $5.10. Johnny Johnson says, no, thank you. Mr. Edwards is curious. What happened? You had over $7 last night. Well, apparently he's only got $1.75 left. He explains about purchasing the hat for Miss Mimi. You tell me you let that fluff horn swoggle you out of all your money? However, putting a positive spin on it, Mr. Edwards says, well, you're out of money. Let's leave. But Johnny Johnson refuses and says, nope, I'm going to find me a job and get money to go all the way to Minneapolis. Over at the unemployment department, aka the hiring hall, there are job listings for bullwhacker, saddlemaker, a bucker and faller, and a skinner. However, Johnny Johnson is too young to be hired for any of those jobs. Still doing his best to get Johnny Johnson back home, Mr. Edwards says, you've had your fun now, time to get back home. And passing by the hat shop, there is a certain hat with a certain bluebird back in the window. And Johnny Johnson is informed that the hat was brought back for a refund. <laughs> you've been taken. But Johnny Johnson, and this is where I would facepalm, convinces himself that something bad must have happened to Mimi if she returned the hat that she wanted so desperately. And at this point, we cut to Mimi, counting a fat stack of cash, which she immediately hides when there's a knock at the door. Hearing Johnny Johnson's voice, Mimi all of a sudden starts to cry, and opening the door, she immediately throws herself onto the bed, 
And from there, she explains how the hat did mean so much. But what means more is seeing her parents, her ma, and her pa-pa-pa. No, really, that's what she calls him. Pa-pa-pa. Mr. Edwards, given an expression that clearly says BS, continues to listen as Johnny Johnson is once again suckered into Mimi's story. She continues how she hasn't seen her parents since she was Johnny Johnson's age. How old is Mimi? And is trying to make it all the way to Maryland. And she explains that every time she's close to her financial goals, something happens. Like last week, she got sick. So she had to pay for the doctor and medicine. As the two men leave the room, Miss Mimi's sorrowful expression turns to one of joy. Sadly, it looks like Mr. Edwards is starting to fall for Mimi's illusion and makes the parallel that what Mimi is going through is the same thing Johnny Johnson would be going through. But Johnny Johnson, again, not winning any points, says, seeing the country is for a man, not a poor country girl. I got to help her. Once again, Johnny Johnson is trying to find work and is failing. Mr. Edwards says, you've done all you could. Call it quits. Let's head back home. But if he can't find work here in Mankato, Johnny Johnson says he's going to head up to Minneapolis to find a job. If I have to. He then leaves. Mr. Edwards, still on the streets of Mankato, looks up and sees Mimi arm in arm with another fellow right outside a certain window with one particular hat. Mimi is gushing on and on about this lovely hat to the strange man, and he's only half listening, till a set of hands grabs him by the jacket, and Mr. Edwards, throwing isn't the correct word, but it's the first word that comes to mind, that man up against the wall, and flat out asks him, what are you doing with my daughter? Of course, this frightens the squatty man. Those are Mr. Edwards' words, not mine. And he points the finger at Mimi and says, you and me, we're going to have a talk. We find ourselves back inside Mimi's room and she is crying. And Mr. Edwards pulls up a chair and tells her to cut that crap out. You're not fooling anyone anymore. And without missing a beat, those tears stop, that face relax, and a harsh tone comes out and says, all right, I'll give him his money back. But Mr. Edward says, I didn't say to give him his money back, but I do need a little help. Mr. Edwards pulls out that $15. It's yours, except for $6, and continues that if Mimi refuses to help, Mr. Edwards can make trouble for her. And the next thing we know, a plan has been formed, and Mr. Edwards has sacrificed his Winchester 73. So, fingers crossed, this all works out. Cut once again to that crying piano man. Why is he crying still? Is he crying because he doesn't have a job because the piano can play itself? I don't know. But we see Mr. Edwards, along with Dandy and those other poker players. Mr. Edwards has come up with another plan to try to get Johnny Johnson to come back home. And this time, they'll be using only Mr. Edwards' money. And being aware of that, all the men lean in a little bit closer to get an idea of the plan. 
We cut back to inside the horse stalls and we get a mirror shot. Mr. Edwards is trimming his beard. And just like at the beginning of the episode, Mr. Edwards is trying to convince Johnny Johnson that he could play poker and win enough money for a ticket. Remember, you're lucky. And oddly enough, Johnny Johnson is not having any sense of deja vu. And even if he doesn't get the money for a ticket, Mr. Edwards says, well, it's easy to walk there with empty pockets, I guess. But empty pockets is not the case. Once again, we cut to Johnny Johnson winning and he's up to $9. But he wants to give the money to Mimi and not necessarily a ticket to Minneapolis for himself. Knowing that they have not lost any of their own money, the men are happy when Johnny Johnson leaves to go find Mimi in her hotel room. And we find Mimi on her bed, ready to play her part, as there is a knock on the door. Johnny Johnson enters with Mr. Edwards. Johnny Johnson states he has the money to get Mimi a ticket all the way to Maryland to see her parents. But she refuses it. I miss my parents, but your pa, he must miss you. There's then a mutual agreeance. Johnny Johnson will go home if Mimi goes home. As she's continuing on, Mr. Edwards is pretty much mouthing everything that Mimi is saying. And just like that, Johnny Johnson concedes and says he'll return home tomorrow. Finally, as the two of them share a small little hug, Mimi makes eye contact with Mr. Edwards and he gives a little wink. Unfortunately, it's out of his black eye, so it causes him a little pain. Pulling away from Johnny Johnson, she says, you go home and not make the same mistakes I did. It's the next day and Mimi is loaded into a wagon and says goodbye to Johnny Johnson. Her white lace gloves that she is wearing are not going to last long. And just like that, her wagon is off. And with that, Johnny Johnson turns to Mr. Edwards and says, let's go home. I made a mistake running away, but I'm not sorry about it. It was a good feeling helping somebody like that. Mr. Edwards simply replies, I can imagine. As the two men drive away, we see Miss Mimi stepping out of her coach and heading back to her room. Sadly, not surprised by this. Three days have passed because Mr. Edwards and Johnny Johnson have arrived back at Walnut Grove. The wagon stops at a fork in the road and Mr. Edwards points out that it's a five minute walk up this road to your house. Johnny Johnson is a little hesitant. My paw is liable to be a little grumpy and begs Mr. Edwards to come along to try to smooth things out a little bit. And we cut to Hector Johnson definitely pulling some double duties and he sees the wagon with Mr. Edwards and his son approaching and he looks pretty relieved. Being cordial and seeing his son he simply says it's getting late I don't believe you fixed that fence. Johnny Johnson looks a little hurt by this remark but at this time Hector Johnson simply says well you better get to it I bet you can finish it before supper course this is a 180 degree change in attitude there's a silent exchange between father and son yes sir I'll get right to it now and he sets to task and that's where Mr. Edwards leaves Johnny Johnson he takes that wagon back to the mill 
And in having a discussion with Mr. Hansen, clearly states, oh, I forgot to pick up a new saw blade. But then proceeds to spin a yarn about highwaymen trying to take the lumber, you know, to explain the black eye. Mr. Hansen says, take the day off tomorrow. You earned it. Happy to see his friend, Charles steps forward and says, how did you get Johnny Johnson to come home? There's a slight pause before Mr. Edward says, well, I just told him the facts. I put all the cards on the table, you might say. Looking around, Charles then asks, well, what about your rifle? It'd be a waste of money, is what Mr. Edwards decides to finish up with and heads on home. And the camera zooms out as we hear old Dan Tucker on repeat. Before we begin talking about anything else, I would like to go ahead and offer a quick little apology to Mr. Johnny Johnson. In the previous episode, The Love of Johnny Johnson, at the end of that, I had mentioned that he was never in the books, and that is incorrect. He's in the book On the Banks of Plum Creek in the chapter entitled Wreath of Roses. He's there for about a paragraph and a few extra lines. He's described as a herd boy with a round red face, blue eyes, pale white yellow hair, and he didn't say anything to the girls, and that's because language barriers. One of the things that caught my attention a few times in this episode was the piano man at the piano player crying over his beer. Again, is he crying because he's out of a job? Because I would like to point something out here. The piano law, or the piano player, was created and patented by Edwin Scott Vody. And that's all fine and dandy. However, it was patented in 1897. And Thanks for the little bit of information from the previous episode, Survival. We know that the year is actually 1878. So that piano man is crying over the future because that device is not even supposed to be there. So thanks for helping to clear that up. SummitHistoricalSociety.org, AmericanHeritage.com, PianoLaw.org, and Britannica.com. So that kind of killed the trivia bug, but let's just get into reviewing and rating this episode. I swear, I have no idea what Laura sees in this kid. I mean, I know Harry Baker's kind of a creep, Sandy Kennedy is a little young, and Sean Penn is never in class, but really? Johnny Johnson? Not only that, we get a second episode with him, and he's practically the lead? Ugh. I try to look at it as though Johnny Johnson was actually moving away and not running away, but at least with moving away, he'd be more prepared. But no, Johnny Johnson with his dollar sixty, fifty, forty-five, is clearly just running away. And you know what? That's fine. I can totally deal with less Johnny Johnson. Now, Mimi Monroe, that's where the story's at. And we know her last name is Monroe because it's in the credits, but she's never referred to as Miss Monroe on screen. Interesting. She is saving that money up for something. What is her goal? What is her history? Where did she come from? Why is she the person that she is? This is what I want to be asking myself 
in regards to Johnny Johnson, but I just can't because I really don't care about Johnny Johnson. And so we're left with this cautionary tale, and I just have to wonder, what did Johnny Johnson really learn other than how to play poker? And, you know, in regards to what he said earlier about experience is the best teacher, well, what did he learn? If you look at it, everyone in Mankato was essentially lying to Johnny Johnson, Mr. Edwards, Mimi, Dandy, and the other poker players. Nobody was ever really honest with him. Oh, wait, no, the man at the ticket office, he was truthful to him. But he doesn't pick any of this up, and he just goes back home. <sighs> That's a yawn. But things that were not a yawn are this week's Little House Moment, which is sort of a two-parter. It starts off with the scene where Mr. Edwards grabs the squatty man and, and pushes him against the building and inquires, what are you doing with my daughter? Followed by the very next scene where he tells Miss Mimi to cut the crap and her fake tears immediately stop and she asks, what do you want? They both have been playing a very good poker face. However, a special recognition to Charles's line about seeing the whole world in a blink of an eye because his whole world is right there with him. And with that, let's get to rating this episode. Not gonna lie, this episode lost major points for having Johnny Johnson as pretty much the main character, and then lost more points because Mimi Monroe was not a main character. It was a nice change of pace again to have the Ingalls almost completely out of the picture for the entire episode. And Mr. Edwards is always a pleasant individual to be around. And yeah, I just have to admit, I was kind of bored throughout most of this episode. So with that, we're going to give To See the World 3.75 bonnets. And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And of course, I'd be curious to hear any thoughts or feelings you might have about this episode or any previous episode. You can reach me at from Plum Creek with love at gmail.com. And if you're checking out that playlist on Spotify, hope you're enjoying that. And with that, yeah, of course, let's also say um, next week's episode is going to be our season one finale. So we'll be spending a little extra time there talking about highlights, lowlights, and the extra thing um, overall about season one of Little House on the Prairie. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm still your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.